Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Pre-season trip to America. There's been a lot sort of said about it. There's been a lot reported. What What's your memory about it? Oh, it's an absolute disaster. A disaster. We um... was it. If I'm again, I, don't, I think I'm right in saying when I had Neil Meller on, he said that it was one of them that had been sort of arranged by like an outside company or something. Yeah, yeah, it was. We we. So we decided we wanted to have a trip away and I had um, an agent who organises these football trips um, got in touch with me and, and we had our physio at the time, Steve Kemp, who's now the head of medicine at the FA. Kemp, who was sort of overseeing it all, really, all of the planning and, and obviously with an input from me. So we get this agent. I can do this trip to America for you. Um, brilliant, right? The biggest thing when you're going over there, yes, you want a couple of games, but you, the training facilities have got to be spot on. So we get told that we're training at the Nike base in Portland. This is where all the training is going to be. This is the, a link to the website. I look on it. The pitches are magnificent, as you'd expect at Nike in, in Portland. Not a problem at all. Everything's working to a tree. Kempi puts the plan together. We've got these games going on. This is the facilities. Um it's like, wow, this is going to be perfect. This is going to be a great trip for us. So we go, as we land, we land sort of early evening in Portland and um, the agents there meets us and there's another guy who, who's based over in America. I can't think of the guy's name now. And he said, uh, as we're driving, with me and me, him, and I think it was Rob Kelly who just joined. We're driving from the airport to the hotel to get there first. When we're in the car, he said, uh, when we get back to the hotel, we, we just need to nip out um, because we've got a bit of a problem with the training facilities. I was like, why? What's the problem? He said, uh, we can't go to Nike. Um, they've got the, the Nike Cup is taking place over the whole week and we can't go there any day at all. I said, you are taking the piss, aren't you? I said, because that is the biggest reason why we're coming. He went, I'm sorry, but it's just, I didn't know. They've just they've stitched me up and blah, blah, blah. Right, okay, so where we're going to train? He said, well, we're going to take you. I'll take you to look at two or three different sites where we can choose. The first one we get to is a, a and I don't know if you're aware, over in America, very few facilities have proper grass it's all astroturf so we go to the first one it's a baseball pitch we're having to climb over the fence to get in to have a look at it me rob kelly and this agent climbing this wire fence to get over and look at it and it was garbage 
So we, we, we actually chose the best of the three, which was just, I mean, it wasn't even a parks pitch. It wasn't even a good standard. And we had to do, there was no markings on the pitch. There was absolutely nothing. It was a complete and utter disaster. And again, you know, I, I said it earlier, I knew at the end of the season when we didn't make the playoffs, that was the start of the end for me. Well, this was basically me just putting the lid on my coffin this pre-season <laughs> trip. And, and really, I, I can't, I can't even take the blame for it. I have to take the blame because I was the manager, but I don't even blame Kempe because Steve Kemp didn't know he, you know, we didn't have the time to go and look at the facilities and to get out there and fly out, which I'll be honest, I have never made that mistake again. I've always gone over. Even when I was with the FA, I would go and do a recce to Bulgaria and to wherever else we were playing games just to go and check what we were going to so that I knew when we landed this is what's going to happen. Even if it's not great, at least I know it's not great and I can actually sort of pave the way for the players. Um, and I even, uh, a pal of mine was the CEO of JD Sports and, and I even rung Barry when we are in America because JD do millions of pounds worth of deals with Nike. And I rung Barry and said, listen, Barry, you're going to have to try and help me here. Can you ring your man at Nike who you deal with? Like one of these, the top directors there. Because we've been told we're doing this and I'm now being told we can't go into the, the football pitches. So Barry even called for me and it was like, I'm really sorry, Paul, but they cannot help you. This Nike Cup is a massive worldwide tournament and it's the finals and you can't do anything. He said, the only thing you can offer me as a bit of a sweetener to you all is that you're all invited into the Nike shop on, on the campus where you can just go and fill your boots and buy whatever you want. And the lads were like a swarm of locusts just buying everything in this Nike shop. That was the only time we got into Nike when we were supposed to be training there every day. And it was just a complete and utter disaster of a trip that uh, bit me on the backside, basically. Yeah, I suppose, like like you said, when, when that happens, you already know that it's going to be a make-or-break season and you think, of course. Couldn't have got off to a worse no. start. Yeah. Pre-season's so important, and it was it was a rubbish pre-season. There's there's just no two ways about it. We were we were I, I was playing catch up all the time because of because of the way this turned out, really. Again, going back a bit, but I think the the Christmas that we went top of the table, if I remember correctly, I think Billy Davis came out in the press and said something along the lines of he, he had two teams at the top of the table. I don't know if you recall that or not. I don't. No, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure I would have been told about it at the time, but it's not something I've ever. I, I, I don't. I don't care about things like that. You know, it's. Uh, you know, Billy Davis had a team that had uh, Carlo Nash in the side. He had Yuma Wenny. He had Claude Davis, Tyrone Mears. I, I didn't. They're not Tyrone Mears. Yeah, Tyrone Mears. I, I didn't have those players. You know, it, it was a different team. We had a we had a different style. Billy had his style. It was really successful. Um, got no, you know, got no problems about it at all. But uh, it definitely wasn't Billy Davis's team that was up at the top of the uh, the league. But but that's that's the way that people want to spin it. That's up to them. I think it, I think it was Billy's way of uh, I think because he had Forest there uh, and not Forest Derby in second Derby. and I think it yeah. was his way of being like no well we we always had there was always a real animosity between um, Preston and and Derby because of the way that it all sort of went on and and even I mean for the whole of that first season we had uh, David Kelly on gardening leave because he wouldn't you know he Derby wanted him to go 
but David Kelly wanted us to sack him and pay him his compensation and then walk into to Derby as well. And that wasn't going to, that's not really how it worked, you know. So we ended up in a bit of a standoff where, you know, I, I rung, when I got given the job, I rung David Kelly. I always remember it was a Sunday night because I was, um, I was out watching my son playing cricket um, somewhere in Cumbria and I rung him on, I was on the boundary and I rung him. And just said, look, um, David, just to let you know, um, I'll introduce myself. I've, I've just been appointed as the manager um, and I'd like you to be my assistant. I'd like you to stay because um, Derek said, you know, all the staff are going to stay. They're not going to Derby. I was like, right, no problem at all. I can work with that. Um, I, I was allowed to bring Russ Richardson in, who was the head of recruitment. So me and Russ came and um, and and. Um, everybody else was going to stay. So I rung him and he said, oh, well, that's a problem then. He said, uh, you know, um, I want to be the manager myself. And I went, all oh, right. Uh, well, I'm really sorry about that. I said, but obviously they've decided to go with me. Um, it's an awkward conversation, isn't it? And there's not really anything I can do with that. I said, but as I say, I- I'm really looking forward to working with you. I've heard really good things and I'd like you to stay. And he went, no, nah, I just can't see how that's going to work. So I said, well, can I suggest you have a chat with Derek about it then? Because I'd like you to stay. You obviously don't want to. We're going to have a bit of a problem. So all the time he just said to, he basically said to me, look, by the end of it, he said, look, I'll tell you now, I'm not going to leave unless you sack me. Um, and I will do everything that I need to in my jo- to do my job, but I will not do any more or any less. And that's the way it is. So I was like, okay that's not really what I need so anyway on the Sunday night before we were going to go back in I just spoke to the chairman and said look this isn't right I want to go in and try and make a good impression here I'm I'm a new manager I've got to try and hit the ground running Um, I really want it on my terms and he just said right we'll put him on gardening leave and he stayed on gardening leave for the whole year all of the staff on our first day of training they all resigned one by one and said no I want to leave um and all told me they had nowhere to go. I mean, still to this day, I, I can't I can't actually tell you what he said to me, but the goalkeeper coach, Pete Williams, stayed behind and spoke to me after everybody else had gone and said, I've got to leave immediately. I've got to get out of professional football. I've got family issues. And as I say, I can't tell you what he said to me, because it's but it's the worst thing anybody has ever told, said to me in football that is a complete and utter pack of lies. So I agreed to let him go straight away because I said, that is far more important than football. You go and deal with it. And I'm really sorry, but, you know, good luck with it all. That night he was appointed Derby County's first team goalkeeper coach. And still to this day, I sit and think about that and think, wow, how could anybody come out with something like that? But he, he, they all they all ended up going to Derby, and trust me, I mean this is no disrespect to press uh, to press North End because Derby County I think is a fantastic club. If they'd have come to me and said we've got a chance to go to Derby County, I would have driven them there myself because I knew it was a big step for them all to go and to be part of Billy's staff. I had no animosity about them going. It was just the whole way they did it. You know they it caused a problem with me. One of them told lies to the, a girl who was my PA at the time and she ended up walking out of the club crying her eyes out because she'd been told lies of something that I'd never done um, and she never came back, which was no no hardship. It's not, not a big deal that she did, but she left. I had 
just so many things going on in those first few weeks. And again, looking back, mistakes I made, I asked them all to serve their notice. Not, not the goalkeeper coach. I, I let him go immediately because of what I, I was led to believe was going on. Um, but the others, I asked them to serve about four weeks notice to allow me a chance to bring other staff in. And they just went behind me back doing some just not even not even evil things just like just a little bit malicious and causing problems which we didn't need we, we needed everybody to be you know when i'm trying to be in there trying to set my own impression and set my own mark you just don't need people going behind your back yeah. and, and basically telling lies you know I, I, yeah they were really yeah um and not there's no need for it you know since that day you know since it all happened there's two of them have actually when i've bumped into them and i've sort of just gone no oh, how are you doing everything all right they said look i need to apologize to you really sorry about the way we went about it, it was wrong blah, blah blah and i accept that because it, it was it's one of them things they, they wanted to get away and i get that um the way they went about it just wasn't right and thankfully it didn't um it, it didn't actually do me too much harm in that first season, if I'm going to be honest with you. It allowed me to bring a group of staff in that, that you know, I may be a little bit biased, but I can look at it now and think, well, you know what? Those staff actually served Preston North End really well. Billy Barr stayed for quite a while. Steve Kemp, the physio, did a good job. I brought Bobby Bacic in as the assistant physio, did a really good job. Uh, Jamie Hoyland was the youth coach. He stayed for a long time after me. Um, Dean Ramsdale was the head of youth who did a brilliant job sorting that stuff out. Uh, I brought Nick in, um, and I can't actually think of Nick's surname. I just know him as Trigger, um, who's in now in charge of the academy. Yeah, Nick um, Harrison. Nick Harrison, who's done, you know, been a great servant. Dan Finch, we brought in to sort the football in the community. And we did all of those things. And that, that was the thing that I tried to do when I went into Preston, which with hindsight, I, I, I always ask myself, would I do it again if I go into a club? Instead of me just focusing on the first team, I tried to build the whole football club and make the whole club right. So the football in the community need addressing the, the academy and the first team and, and, and the medical side of it. I really wanted to address the training facility issue, but I was never, we were never allowed to, and I didn't get the time to do that. But all of those things that I felt needed doing to build that club, I tried to put in place. Um, I think it was, was Rammers not at the club until recently as well? Uh, Rammers, Rammers left a few years ago now, but he he, he was there for a long yeah. time. Um, I think, you know, look, looking at those names that you've mentioned there, I'd say that, a good legacy to look back on and, and be proud of. and, and Well, that, that, that's how I look at it, yeah. You know, I, I, I talked to Tom Drake, who's the CEO of the Community and Education Trust now, and he's he's a great fella. And, you know, mm. where they are now, they're doing brilliant stuff in the community and the work they've done through COVID and all, all sorts of other stuff. There's too many to list. I'd be here yeah. all night. They're, they've, yeah. they're absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um well, that was something that I realised. Proud legacy to have, to be fair. Yeah, well, those those are the things that I realised that they needed addressing. Um, and to be honest, I think that's why me and Derek got on so well because he knew what I was trying to do. He knew that I was trying to address all that. You know, and I, originally when I signed at the club, I signed. I think I signed a three year contract, and within a few months, he he asked me to come and have a coffee in Longridge, and I met him in a coffee shop there. And he said, we want to extend your contract. We want to make it five years. I was like, yeah, crack on. I'm loving it. Yeah, you carry on and do it. Um, 
and the daft thing is it doesn't change anything because I wasn't on I wasn't on a full compensation if my contract got terminated I, you only get a percentage of it so that didn't change you know if I'd have gone to the fifth year then I'd have been I'd have been all right but I ended up getting sacked the next year so it didn't even come into fruition so my last question on sort of like your time with North End how do you reflect on your relationship with the press <laughs> um, I always felt as though I had a good relationship with the local guys, with yeah. the local media. Um, but again, I, I have to say I, I was stitched up by the press. It's as simple as that. Um, and I, the, the big story that I always talk about is the one where I was accused of blaming Elvis Presley, um, which I'm sure you've heard about. Do you know what? Someone, I put something on Twitter about the, doing the podcast with you, and someone tweeted me saying, I asked him about Elvis Presley, and I, yeah, I have no idea. No, so we played a game at home. But saying that, I think I was only 14, 13 when you were right. in charge, so okay. I was quite young. Yeah, yeah. no, so we, we played a game at home, um, and it was at the time, I, I don't even remember who it was. I mean, in that, in that start of that season. We had a couple of nil-nil games at home. I think, um, if I remember rightly, I think we drew with Bristol City and I think we drew with QPR nil-nil, I think, that in that sort of time. And I don't remember which game it was, and it may not even have been one of the nil-nils, but I go into the press lounge after the game and I go in and I'm, I'm sat in front of 20, 20 30 media guys and... Um, I do the local stuff first and I answer their questions and whatever they are. And then a question comes from one of the national papers about, um, do you think the lack of atmosphere inside the ground has got anything to do with the poor home form? And I said, well, you can't actually blame the supporters for us being poor at home. I said, you know, for me, there's two ways it goes in football stadiums. Either the fans lift the players or the players have to do something to lift the fans. You know, you can't just throw it all onto the fans. It's up to the players to do something. I said, and unfortunately, we haven't done anything today to lift the supporters to, to create a good atmosphere in the ground. So we need to address that before we start worrying about anything else. And he said to me, well, do you think it's the music that they run out to? Well, I never hear the music that they run out to because I'm still in the dressing room when the players are running out of the tunnel. So I didn't even know what we ran out to. So I said, well... I'll be honest with you. I said, I don't really know what we run out to. I said, but listen, if changing music helps the atmosphere in the ground, we'll do anything. So on the Monday morning, I then get a phone call about seven o'clock, Derek Shaw, first call of the morning. What have you said, Paul? I was like, I don't know. What have I said? He said, well, let me read you the headline. And the headline in the Monday paper was now Simpson blames Elvis um, for home form or something like that. And I'm like, Oh, Jesus Christ. I said, let me tell you. So I had to rerun the story of what was asked. So I didn't even know we'd ran out to an Elvis song. I had no idea about this, but this is how they spun it. And at the time, it was annoying at the time. Then it got, it was quite amusing to think how they've done that. But the, the way that this works is that um, when I got the sack, so I got the sack on a Tuesday at Preston. Uh, got I went over to Derek's house. Um, he told me the news. Fine. As I'm leaving his house, I got a phone call from Sky Sports News to say, is it true that you've been sacked? And I was like, well, where have you heard that? We've just heard it from a source. I said, well, 
yeah, I have. I said, but we've agreed that nothing goes out until 4 p.m. because I need to get to school to tell my children that I've been sacked because the boys are all at school. So the way we were working, I was going to my younger, I was going to Brockall Village where my middle son was at um, Blackburn Rovers in the academy. So I was going to Brockall first, telling Jake, then I had to get to uh, my youngest Dominic's school to tell him while my wife was going to the other school to tell um, my eldest, uh, the sixth form college. So I said, please just give me till four o'clock to let my boys know personally so they don't get told off their mates at school. It was all agreed. So I said, so please, I don't want anything going out until four o'clock. But yes, I have been sacked. So they said, well, would you come on and do a live piece down the line with us at four o'clock to, to talk about it? I said, well, so long as you're not going to stitch me up. Yeah, of course I will. I said, I'm, I'm happy to speak about it. I said, we haven't fallen out. We've come up with a, an agreement. That, that's football. So they speak to me and then on the, they then get, I don't even know who the guy was, somebody who was head of one of Preston North End supporters groups goes live on Sky Sports News. And he comes out with a comment where he says, um, He's, he is the worst manager in the history of Preston North End. Uh, he even he blames everybody but himself. He's even blamed Elvis Presley. And they all have a laugh about it in the Sky Sports studio and blah, 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 all of this. So then months and months further down the line, I'm out of work. And I had an interview for Hibernian to go to, to be the new manager at Hibernian. I had two interviews and... I got the contract sent to me on the Friday night. I was going to watch him on the Saturday, have a look at the contract. Uh, it's going to be announced on Monday night or Tuesday morning. Everything's fine. No problems at all. And then on the Sunday, they reel out this story in the Scottish papers that this is what Hibs fans have got to expect. Uh, since this is the Preston North End fans view. He blames, even blamed Elvis Presley. So something that was uh, yeah. The truth is, when I left Preston, because I, I, I got a call about it from a lawyer at the LMA saying, do you want to take legal action against this? Because we've checked the records and statistically you are actually, depending which way you look at it, it, it on draws and wins and blah, 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 you are either the best or the second best manager in Preston North Hendrick on statistics, not on personal opinion, not on anything, not on entertainment value pure statistics you are one of the best your record is one of the best so you can actually take legal action against this guy if you want and i said no 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 i'm not doing that i don't want anything at all to do with that it's not worth it the man's just a nobody i'm not even worried about him so let's just forget it let's just drop it all and they went well if you're sure but you have every right to do it i ended up getting this contract taken away by hibernian because of the the uproar that came because of this story in the paper then the Hibs fans are going oh we don't want that we don't want him in this club all of this so I didn't get the job whether I would have got the job who knows but I had the contract on me on my desk just waiting to go up and sign it and these things just kill you so I felt as though I had a good relationship with the media especially the local guys but again I know I made mistakes I I know I was um I was probably too open with them. I was too honest with them. Um, I know I made a big mistake where I talked about um, some some bad apples that we had in the club at the time, at the start of the season. We had two or three players who were, they were poisonous in there and they caused me a major issue. Um, and I, sh with hindsight, 
I should never have told anybody. I should have just banished them to train with the reserves or the youth team at the time, not have them anywhere near. But I tried to keep everybody involved. I want. I, I felt as though I could manage it. With hindsight, I didn't. I didn't manage it very well. And um, no, it was a strange one because I, I, I tried to. I tried to speak honestly to the the local paper and to the the local radio, and I, I, I always w- was open to them doing it. I think, I think they all had my number and could ring me. Um, but um, it was quite funny, really, because during the Hibernian interviews, the second interview that I went, first one I went up to Scotland, the second one they met me at a hotel in Carlisle, and they, it was the biggest grilling I've ever had for about three, four hours. Remember, it was really bad snow, so I drove up from, I was living in Chipping at the time, I drove from Chipping up to uh, up to Carlisle, and the snow was horrendous. I thought I wasn't going to get back um, that night. And they grilled me for about three or four hours. And they asked me about all of these different stories. They kept saying, right, in November of 2006, you said this. Uh, February of 2007, you said this. And what did you mean by that? And they went through all of these things. Like, and it was pro- It was like a bit cathartic for me, really, because it was going over everything that I'd screwed up with like what I'd said in the media. Uh, and I had to explain the story and them going, well, that's not how that comes across. And I'm like, I know, but that was what that was the situation. That was what I said. That's how it's been reported. And in the end, they just saw the the guy, um, what was he called? Rod Rod Petrie, the, the chairman or owner, whatever he was. He just laughed and I went, What are you laughing at? He went, I cannot believe that you've been allowed to be put in that situation in front of the media where you have been opened up to that sort of questioning said, I can assure you that will not happen here. You will not be allowed to have to answer and to speak about those things. You have been really let down. And I, th- and I said, no, 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 I, I, I've let myself down. I, I've allowed myself to say those things I said, and I shouldn't have done, but that was me learning. That was me learning how to, how to deal with those things. And I, I I'd like to think I'm better now, but I'm still, when an opportunity comes for me to go back into management, I still am going to have to be very careful about what I say, because I just, I, I want to be honest. I want to say it as it is when really you can't, you can't say it as it is. I knew my days were numbered. It was one of them, Jake, where you just think, you know what? I, I've tried here. I'm trying to do the Don't right things and um, it's not happening. So yeah. let's just, let's just deal with it. Um, obviously, we've we've covered you you leaving the club. Um, after the the time at North End, you had spells with Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury, sorry, Stockport, um, Northwich Victoria, and then obviously you joined up with Steve McLaren at Newcastle. How did that all come around? Is Steve someone that you've known in the game anyway? Or yeah, he is. Yeah, I mean, I played with him at Oxford, um, so we were teammates at Oxford, and then when I was a player at Derby, he came in as the assistant to Jim Smith. So. I've seen him a lot. And then when I was at Preston as well, I spoke to him as the England manager because I was speaking about Nuge. Um, so I kept in touch with him then. Um, and then never, I mean, I, 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 after Stockport, I decided that I needed time. I wanted about at least five years out of management because that was just the worst decision I've ever made to take that job. That was horrendous. Um, and it put me off going into my, staying in management. I went away, I worked in Portugal for about 18 months at 
an academy. I really enjoyed that experience. And I came back and I was doing a bit of media stuff. Um, I was doing some with Sky, uh, with Radio Lanks, Radio Manchester. I was doing a little bit of work for the Premier League um, in the academies. And then literally one Sunday night, I got a phone call from Steve to say, I'm going into Derby tomorrow. Um, I think it's a really good opportunity. He spoke to me for about 15 minutes and I went, Maka, I said, can I stop you? Why are you telling me all this? And he went, well, I want you to come in with me. I was like, oh, wow, brilliant. When do we start then? And he said, well, hopefully tomorrow if I can get it all agreed. And that was it. Went and met him that day and went in there a couple of years at uh, Derby or 18 months at Derby, whatever it was. And then he, he got this opportunity. Well, he got the sack at Derby, um, which was a ridiculous decision. Um, and then he got the Newcastle job and I got the sack at Derby as well and, and went up to Newcastle with him. So really good experience working alongside somebody like him who is a you know regardless of what public perception of him he is a top top coach really really good coach um he doesn't like the off the field management stuff so i basically did that side of it and and i was still on the grass with him every day but he was the he was the coach he he coached the team i did all the organization off the grass so all of the logistical planning all of the um staff relationship stuff i i did all of that for him um and, and we worked really well together i thought um unfortunately newcastle was never going to work for him um or, or for us i always include myself in that because it wasn't just him it was me as well um it was never going to work um and you know it, it was sad the way it all ended but it's a really really good experience that that set me up for the next bit when i went into the fa how was that for you? Was that just, I guess, winning winning anything with your country at any level is... Yeah. Well, for me, I think representing your country as a player or as a coach, I think is like the, the, one of the best, one of the best things. You know, there's never, I, I can't tell you how proud I am as an Englishman standing there as the co- head coach of an England team, listening to the national anthem being played. Then when you add into the mix that, I'm listening. I'm stood listening to the national anthem in a World Cup final. I'd never, ever dreamt of. I mean, I don't even think when I was a kid, when I was dreaming of my footballing days, I don't think winning getting in a World Cup final was ever one of those dreams. It was playing <laughs> at Wembley or whatever. I never got that far down in my dreams to get to a World Cup final. <laughs> so to do that was just brilliant. I had four years there, probably. The best four years of the FA time, we had a really good structure in place. We had a a real um, sort of a real connection right through from all of the teams going all the way through to Gareth and Steve Holland with the seniors and Aidy Boothroyd with the 21s. There was a really good feel about the place. And we had we had a method to how we wanted to do it. And it worked really, really well with Dan Ashworth as the technical director, Matt Crocker as head of player development. And we had a really good system and again we had some bloody good players you know when i look at that um you know when i look at the world cup winning squad of of the 20s you know with the likes of dom solanke dom calvert lewin adimola luckman um even players like kieran dowell who was excellent yeah. josh onamer ainsley maitland niles uh, adam armstrong uh, some top 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 players in there really were and really Freddie good Woodman in that, I think. Was yeah, it? Freddie was in goals. Dean Henderson couldn't get in the team. Yeah, they were they were top top blokes as well as top players. Yeah. Um, 
So it was just a great experience to be part of it. And even, even following on from that, the teams that I looked after after that as well, it was a really good experience for me. But through lockdown, I'd got really, really bored not being out on the grass. And I got this opportunity to get back into first team football at Bristol City. And, uh, and I decided to take it. And I don't regret I, I don't regret any of my jobs, even though I've been sacked a few times. I, I don't regret any of them because I made them all. I made the decision to go on them all for the right reasons. I know that I worked as hard as I possibly could um, in all of them. Never once shirked it. Um, but. Unfortunately, I fell short in some of them, and that's something you just have to accept and move on. How much do you think you've changed as a coach over the years? Like um, we mentioned before, didn't we, about how much football's changed, and mm. there's the analytics side of the game, and and the data and the statistics. Is that something that you've sort of adopted and and sort yeah. of incorporated into your 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 sort of daily routine? Or yeah, you have to. I mean, when I think back to Press North End. We, we never had an, anal an analyst at the club. We didn't have anybody. You know, it was only towards the end that we had an intern who used to meet us outside the stadium when we got back from away games, take the video of the game or the DVD, what it might have been DVDs. It may, it may have just been really big old videos in those days. They it take was probably it. just about DVDs. Yeah, I think it probably was. And then on a Monday morning, he would then come in with it, uh, with it all done with sports code or whatever the, whatever the, you know, the, the software was in those days, but we didn't have it. I mean, now, and with probably uh, Derby, Newcastle, um, even in Portugal, when I was working with the Academy, I would get the film of the training session, like within about an hour of us finishing in games, I get it, you know, I get onto the coach after games and I've got the video on my laptop, all sports coded up, all done into this. So if I want to see how we've built from the back, I've got a row of about 30 clips of this is what happened. These are the successful ones and it makes life so much easier. You know I mean? We just couldn't do that. We couldn't do that at Preston. I know I didn't do it at Carlisle. We didn't have the facility to do it. Um, you know, and you think now about how how it worked in those days at Preston. I mean, that Springfields had lovely character to it, but it was a rubbish training ground. It really was. I mean, we we I remember in the summer. My after my first full season in the summer, we were trying to bring loan signings in because we didn't have the money to go and make signings. And I was speaking to Arsenal, and we had we had a sort of a provisional agreement about Seb Larson, Nicholas Bentner, um, a guy called Arturo Lupoli. Um, these three players, we had them all lined up, and there was Birmingham City were interested, Derby County were interested, and they were saying, look. We want to come and look at your training facilities. We've seen derbies and it's really good and we've come from Arsenal. We'd like to come and look at the facilities. And now in the end, I had to say, there's no point coming and looking at this. We've got, we've got no chance. If you want a good facility, it ain't oh, going to happen here. here. I'll give you first team football. We'll be, you know, I'll do this. Yeah. I can't give come you a look at the stadium. Go. You know, yeah, let's go and have a look at Deepdale, but this isn't where you're going to come except every fortnight. And, and, it, and it affects it. So we, we yeah. couldn't, we we didn't have the facility to be able to that, go and show it. That season, didn't Nicholas Bentner go to Birmingham and he was absolutely yeah. unreal. Well, him and Seb Larson both did. Oh, and did I think, oh yeah, of course he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think Lupoli went to Derby. I think if I'm right, I can't remember, but it was like I hold my hands up, lads. 
don't come and look at Springfields, it's rubbish. <laughs> um, so we, we couldn't do anything. I mean, I remember pre-season, uh, the main pitch on there got flooded. We had loads of rain and we had we had a flood in August, in July on our training pitch. You know, it was just incredible. So going on back to the uh, analysis side of it, we didn't even have anywhere where we could show it. We had a little canteen area where we ended up putting a TV on the wall and we could we could show a few clips, but we just didn't have the facility for it. And the game has changed now. So we've gone more into that and more into the, you know, it's not a case of just, uh, doing it you have to plan it you've got to do it you've then got to review it at the end of it and and it's a finely tuned machine when you get it all going and it's a really good educational tool but we, that wasn't that or that was just starting to come in probably in my Preston time and um, we, we were just a little bit behind the behind the ball for that how do you think football compares today in terms of quality, and I suppose in general too, to when you started out in coaching when you were at North End? Mm, um, I think the players are obviously fitter. Um, they've got they've got more got more people looking after them. They've got better facilities to educate them. Um, there's, they've got everything in place for them to be successful. I, I really do wish that that I could have had half of the assistance that players get in my day because I, I always say to players, look, I can't guarantee that I'll make you better, but it won't make you worse if you try it. So give it a go. You know, Come and have a look at your clips and see where you're going wrong. Don't just look at what you did really well. Have a look where you can be better. Look at how you can improve. You know, we, we look at the diet. We look at the the um, hydration levels of them. You look at the supplements that can have, all the legal supplements that can have, um, that's got to make them bigger, better, stronger, faster. Um, and the way that training is now as well, technically they're better. You know, they are. I think I think we've, we've possibly gone a little bit too far over on the technical side and, and we've taken a lot of the physical side of it away. Now, for me as a player, playing as a winger who couldn't tackle a hot dinner, that'd have been brilliant for me that you can't tackle. I'd have been fine with all of that. But, <laughs> so I, I would have liked to have played nowadays. Um, but the, the game's still the same. It's about your players playing to the best of their ability and being competitive being able to deal with the, the the physical side of the game, um, being able to deal with somebody trying to stop you, all of those things stay the same. I think technology, some of the technology has improved the game. There's a, there's so many good things about the game now that we didn't have, certainly in my playing days and certainly when I started on my coaching career as well. What's your favourite memory from your time at North End? Um, I think I've got to say... I, I mean, the start of it, how proud I was to actually get the job in the first place. But I think going to the top of the league um, for the first time in however many years it was, 50 odd years. Five years, if I'm correct. Is that what it was? So, yeah. so take, taking the team to the top of the league was was a really big thing. Um, uh, you know, we, we had some, we had a good group of players at that time. And unfortunately, they, they, they all just move on, don't they? And things change. So that's football, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So that, I think that's probably it. Because unfortunately, from the Christmas onwards, um, in fact, probably I would say from that Cardiff game onwards, which I think was maybe in about February when Paul McKenna went off, it 
just steadily went downhill for me after that point and I don't have many uh, many happy memories of the, of the rest of the time unfortunately have you got any regrets from your time at the club or are you someone um, who doesn't tend to live with regrets no I think I think you do I think um, I, I certainly think I regret the way that I um, the way that I came across in the media I regret um, partly my fault partly the media fault Um Regrets. I think the, my probably my biggest regret is that I wasn't strong enough in that December January period to to really stamp my feet. And probably, maybe that is an occasion where I should have come out publicly about how frustrated I was that we weren't allowed to go and push to try and get promotion. Um, it's a disappointment, but I can't really say it's a regret because I just think you've got to live with the decisions you make and you do them for the right reasons, and you just have yeah. to get on with it. Alex Neil did that recently and ended up getting sacked. Did he? Right. Yeah, no, it, it, this is the thing. And 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 yeah. as I've said already, I get why they did it. But as somebody yeah. who wants to try and be a successful coach and to try and, as a manager, you're trying to keep the fans happy because it's the fans who get you the sack. You know, that, that's ultimately what's happened. If you, when your results are poor and the fans turn on you, you know, it's just inevitable. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, um, you know, that I, I wish I'd have been a bit stronger. Yeah, I think with... Alex was, apart from you, the the only other manager to have taken us to the top of the championship. He did it in, I think it was the 1st of November 2019. Right. Um, and obviously coming up to a January window, and then you've got the summer after that. Yeah. And I think for, from then on, all the windows that he was here for, pre-window, he'd always be like, yeah, we need two or three quality players. And then yeah. you, halfway through the window, he's like, yeah, we need one or two quality players. And then yeah. toward the end of the window, he's like, we just need a quality player. Yeah, we'll take anything. Yeah. And that that's what we were in January. I mean, that sounds wrong to say we'll take anything. Seifo and Pavel were both, you know, internationals. Ricketts was an international player, but they weren't, they just didn't work for us. It's yeah. simple as that, really. It wasn't the right things for us. Who was the best player that you worked with at the club? Um, the best pro was probably Graham Alexander Grezer. Um, he's a real top top pro. Um, but I loved David Nugent's personality um, and his character. Um, he was just a really bubbly character. Um, I, I knew he was going to go, and it was inevitable he was going to leave. But um, I was disappointed that he did. I was really praying that uh, at the time we had Portsmouth and Sunderland were both sort of haggling to take him and he ended up going to Portsmouth. I was really hoping it was going to fall flat on its backside and he'd have stayed. But listen, he got a fantastic move and and ended up playing in the Premier League and all those sorts of stuff. But I think Nuge was probably my favourite because he was just that sort of personality that was that was really good to have around. Scousers for you. <laughs> yeah it is yeah yeah it is. Oh, you know something i said that about our group in the world cup finals we had uh, john joe kenny kieran dowell um uh callum connolly and dom calvert lewin was like a bit of an adopted scouser yeah. but the them four together they were brilliant because you know we get to a point where They'd be sort of going. I'd be, I'd be making the players after a game. The next day, we had a, like a rooftop terrace in in South Korea where we had these ice baths on the roof, and the, the boys had to go in it. The ones who played, and if anybody was messing about, this it was the scouser who were going, "Oi, get in, 
get in the ice bath now and they they run it and it it is that sort of personality they're infectious the way they yeah. go about it obviously ryan ryan lowe's just been appointed and yeah he's a scouser and straight away you know you hang on his every word and yeah George and he's got Ren- another good guy as well marshy mike yeah marshy, mike marsh real top um, fellow as well um obviously we've got leto ryan ledson's there and of course, by all yeah. accounts, he's he's like an absolute character yeah well, I was really gutty because Lego should have come to the World Cup with me. He was on my first camp as the under-20 coach in France and he played against France and he was excellent. But he had a problem with his knee and they made the decision when he came back from France, he needed surgery and he wasn't fit for the World Cup. So he ended up missing out, but he'd have, he'd have come to the World Cup and he probably would have been a starter as well, unfortunately for him. Didn't he win something before that as well with a, a younger age group? He probably did. He probably won... Um, I tell you what, you know, he maybe got to the Euro semi-finals the year before with the under 19s. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not sure if he won anything. He maybe did in one of the younger age groups, possibly. Did he win the 17s Euros or something? Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I oh, know. Yeah, it was that he would have been involved with the with the side that you had. Yeah, he would have been. He played against France and played really well in in a tournament. Oh no, sorry. He was part of the squad that won the 2014 European Under-17 Championship. That's right. I thought he must have, because it was that age group that went yeah. to the 17s, yeah. And he was the captain as well, apparently. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. No, he would have been with me, but he got injured. <coughs> Sorry, he had surgery. Yeah, surgery yeah. Um, Have you got any memories that stick with you from your time at the club? Like anything funny, sad, good, bad? Anything <laughs> from a night out? Anything from off the bench? Um, anything that you can share? You know, some there's there's loads of things, but I I can't really I can't really go into many of them. There was some really sad ones that that affected me and and caused me problems. But when I look back, I was I was really hurt at the end. Um, I, it's funny because at the end of my time at Preston, I knew that I was I was struggling. I knew it was only a matter of time that that I was going to get the sack, and I remember getting up one morning and having a shower and I was looking in the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and thought, Jesus Christ, you look rough. I've just got out of the shower. I had grey hair. I had bags under my eyes. I thought, wow, you look rough. This is, this is really getting to you. And, and that was the time that it really hit me how, how it was affecting me because it was taking over my life. I was doing everything I possibly could to try and turn a real shit show around and trying yeah. to make it better. I was like, just, I was up all night thinking about it. And I remember get, I got the sack. I'd, I'd explained to the boys that we lost away at Hull City. The, the, the last game, we lost three um, nil. And again, another little strange thing about two or three weeks ago, my son bumped into the referee from that game and there was a definite red card that should have gone for a tackle right in front of the dugout and the referee bottled it. And the referee said to my son a few weeks ago, has your dad forgiven me because it's one of the worst decisions I've ever made, not giving a red card in that game. And we went yeah. on to lose, we went on to lose it three nil and the whole stadium was singing, you're getting sacked in the morning. And I'm stood thinking you're probably right. Yeah. You, it's probably right. I am. So I explained to them, my three boys were, were still all school age at that point. I can't remember the ages now. And I explained to them that I was probably going to get the sack and don't get upset about it. Don't let anybody wind you up at school about it. Just keep nice and calm and don't get in a fight and all this, which you had to do with the children, you know, because I know how cruel it can be. 
it didn't happen on the Monday. So we had the same conversation on the Tuesday morning and then I get the phone call after. And the way that it ended with Derek, I came in from training and um, I had a missed call on my phone from him. And I used to speak to Derek six, 10, 12 times a day without fail. I hadn't spoke to him since the whole game. Um, and after the whole game, I'd walked, I'd, I'd spoke to my wife, Jackie rung me and said, how, how are you after that? She'd listened on the radio. I said, if ever there's a performance going to get me the sack, it's that today. I said, we were hopeless. I said, and I think I'm on borrowed time. And she went, right, just get home safe. I go through the maze of the whole city stadium to get up to the press lounge. And just I've just opened the door to walk in. And Ben Rhodes said to me, oh, oh Paul, just before you go in, they might ask you about the statement that Derek's put out. And I'm like, pulled the door to, I went, sorry, what did you say there, Ben? I said, a statement's gone out. He said, yeah, yeah. I said, what does the statement say then? He said, well, basically, they're just saying that the board are going to meet over the next couple of days to discuss your position as the manager. I went, right, okay, Great. brilliant. Thanks for that. So anyway, I've just sort of, sort of gone, calm down, calm down. So I've gone into the press lounge, into the press room, and it's like a, it's like a theatre style at Hulsey. It yeah. was in this on this particular day. I don't know if it still is. I sat there. First question, uh, Paul, uh, what do you have to say about the statement that Derek Shaw's just put out? And I was like... Right. Okay. So they killed me with that anyway. But um, so this Tuesday, I, I eventually Derek eventually rings me on the Tuesday. I've not spoken to him since the Saturday night. And um, I'd left messages saying, listen, Derek, we've got a really good relationship here. I said, if you've got to sack me, let's just be adults about it. Let's have a chat and let's come to an agreement and let's just do it if that's what you want to do. But don't just ignore me. Come on, let's have a chat. Let's be adults about it. So as I say, I had a missed call on my phone coming after training. So I rung him up. I said, Derek, did you call me by accident or did you want to speak? He said, aye, aye. He said, I think we need to have a coffee. Can we have a coffee together? I said, yeah, of course we can. I said, uh, what, where do you want to meet? He said, well, we'll meet at the Tickle Trout. I said, right. I said, just before I come though, Derek, I said, am I getting the sack? And he went, oh, no, no, come on. Don't, don't be like that. I said, no, Derek. I said, am I clearing my desk at the training ground? And he went, Aye, you are, that, that you are. So I've, that was me getting told I was got the sack. So I told the staff, didn't tell the players, told the staff and said, look, I'm going to do this. So I met him at his house um, and he just said, this is what we're going to do. We can't afford to do what we can't afford to do it. Can we come to an agreement? I said, yep, of course we can. I'm not here to fleece you. Let's just do it properly. We came to an agreement, shook hands and that was it. <laughs> we went our separate ways and done. So, I suppose when when that statement's put out, you know, it's just a matter of time, really. Oh, of course yeah. you do. When you're told that, there's there's never. And and to be honest, a few weeks earlier, I mean, I'd been getting stick off the fans, um, which is that goes with bad results. I accept that, and and not entertaining football. I understand all of that. Um, but there was a game at home where Derek was walking out with his daughter Abby, and she was only young at the time, and. Um, a, as he was getting in the car, he had a lovely, I think he had a Bentley or something, really nice car. And the supporters spat on his windscreen with his daughter in the car. And uh, he was really upset about it. And rightly so, he was really upset about it. And, you know, when I sat there and heard that, I thought, ah, I'm, I'm finished. Because directors normally, they'll sit there and they'll accept the manager getting the abuse. 
But the minute it turns to the directors, that's when something that, normally happens. And uh, a unfortunately, it, it's horrible. I mean, that, that sort of thing should never happen. Um, but fans were at the wit's end and they, uh, it, was, it was that sort of situation. So that's the only thing I can say really about my sort of overriding memory at the end of Preston North End. Last one then, <laughs> hopefully a positive one. Um, yeah. If you could put a five-a-side team together with players that you work with at North End, who would be in it? Oh, wow. Five-a-side team. Well, it'd be Carlo in goals for a start. Absolutely no doubt. Grezel would play. Yeah. Paul McKenna would play. I'd have Nuge up front. Um, and who else would I need? I'd need a really good workhorse. Or would I need another defender? I'd probably... I think I'd probably go for Sean St. Ledger or Liam Chilvers, just because I'd need somebody to just stay at the back and defend. Grezer could just go and wander. Kenner could play the through balls and, and uh, Nuge would finish them off. So I think it'd be that. <laughs> at least you've actually got five. I've had a few guests recently. I've said, what's your five-side team? <laughs> Who was it? I had. Um, I don't know if you've worked with Billy Bowden at all. Uh, no, I haven't, no. I had him on the other week. And he, he named six. I had Ben Pearson on in the summer. He named six. But the worst thing is, I don't twig. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I put it out and I've got people tweeting me and messaging yeah. me saying, have you let him pick six here? I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, he's a sub. You can have a sub as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Paul, brilliant. I really enjoyed that. I think that's probably one of the most insightful recordings I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, really massively enjoyed that. And thanks for your time. Pleasure, no problem at all, good luck with it. the bomb.